Welcome to Grind, Grind, Sell, Sell, Elevate, Elevate, with your host, Tizer Evans, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the top minds in all areas of business, entrepreneurship, sales, and leadership. Let's elevate together. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. This is Ty, your host. I'm here with James Lachlan out of New Zealand. James, thanks for joining me. Hey, Ty. It's so good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I was stoked to get an opportunity to talk with you. Obviously, seven-time world champ. I want to talk about that, but you're a high-performance leadership coach. Uh, You've got your Life on Purpose podcast, and you've got a mastermind group. You mean you're a busy guy. Yeah, life is full on, but it's it's very purposeful. It's it's stuff that I love doing, and it fills me up. So I get up in the morning, and I don't feel like it's work. I feel like it's a joy, and it's a privilege. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, let's just stay on that topic. I mean, go ahead and maybe for better context, introduce yourself um, and kind of how you've decided to live your life, you know, with a, a purpose-filled mission. Yeah, well, I go back to Northern Ireland. You know, I grew up, uh, I got a beautiful family there, mom and dad and a couple of siblings, and very humble beginnings. A small kind of working class village that we grew up in called Ballyclare. I went to school and I did okay at school. I I got by. I wasn't the smartest kid in class, wasn't uh, the worst kid in class, Uh, but I was easily distracted, very easily distracted. And in Northern Ireland, if you're easily distracted, there's a few different things, different paths that you can go down. And when you get into your teenage stage, there's the opportunity to go down some pretty dark paths there. Um, Northern Ireland's got a, a history of uh, violence and sectarianism, and it's very easy to get caught up in that. So when I was about nine or 10, so just before that kind of that puberty kicks in, uh, I got into a bit of a scuffle at school and ended up in the headmaster's office. Headmaster was a badass guy, like just a great guy, but scary as hell when you're nine. So Mr. Pollock, big deep voice, got me in, sat me down on, on the chair, and went through the whole thing that had happened. And he said, look, you've got two options. You've got detention or here's some drumsticks. I was like, is this a prank? Like, am I being punked right now? Where's the cameras? <laughs> it's not take a drumsticks. And um, every Tuesday after school, you're going to see Mr. Lee. So Mr. Lee was like a grandfather figure who taught drums. It's like, okay, sounds good. So first session I went, I loved it. Second session, great. Third session, Mr. Lee was like, hey, you've got a bit of potential. I was like, oh, this is nice getting a bit of positive feedback here rather than, you know, getting a good old uh, ear licking. So I started practicing and realized that this is actually a competitive hobby. And so you can go to Irish championships, uh, Scottish championships, world championships. So I started real practice and my competitive nature came out. I dropped all my other things. There was like Taekwondo, it got dropped. And I was like, this drumming thing, I'm all in on this. So I started really focusing on that. My mom and dad gave me incredible support. Drove my siblings crazy, tapping and practicing all, all, all day long. And by the age of 13, my dad was like, okay, let's, you know, let's look at what you want to do. So I was like, well, I want to compete. I want to go to the world solo drumming championships. He goes, cool, let's do it. So we got on the boat, headed across to, to Scotland and um, went just to experience it. It was the juvenile section and ended up, performing getting into the finals okay wow i'm in the top 24 this is awesome went to the finals played end of the day results came out and i won and i was like what the hell this is insane <laughs> like how can this happen so i had all this like self-belief and excitement and all these visions of where i could take it so i went back and practiced twice as hard for the next year went back again and was fortunate enough to win it again the next year at that point 
I was like, I don't want to live in Northern Ireland forever. I'm 14 now. I want to, I want to be traveling. I'd love to go to North America. I'd love to travel to South Africa, New Zealand. And all of a sudden, these calls and emails started coming in and offers to go and play drums in those parts of the world. So I was about 17, 18, headed to Vancouver, Canada. Uh, the Simon Fraser University have a world-class band there. Um, so I went and joined them for the summer. Uh, did a lot of partying, did a lot of drumming, a lot of fun. And ended up in 2004 going to the World Championships and winning with them. And at that point, then I got an offer to come to New Zealand. And I was like, well, that's on my bucket list. Like, I want to go to New Zealand, just even for six weeks and check it out. Now, 16 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty special place. So I came here and uh, started uh, teaching at a private school. And the whole goal there was to try and help this private school become the very first band from New Zealand, the first drum line to win the world championships. It never happened. So I committed, took about eight, seven, eight years, and they ended up becoming the very first world champions. Wow. So for me, it was about taking all what I have learned technically, musically, psychologically, and taking that and passing that on to a group of Kiwis to see if they could go and become world-class, and they did. So at that point, I was like, okay, uh, I'm really interested in what happens up here. Uh, I believe that down here, from a musician's end, anybody can play an instrument if they're given the right you know, instruction and they've got the right commitment, they can do it. The same with a sport. People can learn to kick a ball. But what separates Ronaldo from me you know, is that right. he's done thousands of hours of practicing kicking that ball. And he's got the great coaching. Me, I can barely kick a ball. But this is the thing that separates the best of the best. And it's what happens under pressure. So I find, you know, because I, I definitely lost more than I won time. And I find that it was this thing that helped me perform better. And it was also this thing that would hold me back if I started to create narrative. So that's what um, kind of transitioned me from drumming and teaching drums, playing drums and, and competing to coaching coaching it was the whole understanding of psychology so that was kind of my bridging point going from drumming to coaching well thanks for the background that's awesome um i'm glad that i waited till we got on air for you to tell me the story uh that, <laughs> that was great so i you know, i'm curious with uh mr lee was it right was the yeah. um what because obviously i i get how you know why you do what you do now from a leadership perspective, because it obviously it worked with your team in, in New Zealand, taking that school to become world champions. Were there any big takeaways from Mr. Lee that you learned about becoming a leader or about work ethic that, you know, were really pivotal at a young age? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so when I teach now, so, you know, I don't teach much one-to-one -one stuff anymore, but I have a group uh, of about 150 drummers that I mentor and what happens is that we talk about, you know, kids that are learning nowadays and essentially they want the pipe band drumming app to download to their mom and dad's iPad and it uploads all of the skills to them as a drummer and they're done. It doesn't work that way. Right. So Mr. Lee taught me like, Hey, here's one thing. And it was called a double. I was like, great. I'm going to work on that. I, I came back the next week and I'd worked on it maybe 10 hours of work. And I was like, cool. What's next? And he went the double, but we did that last week. He says, You've got to hone it. You've got to refine it. You still haven't got it right. So, okay, I'll do it again this week. Another week later, what's, what, what's next? The double. I sat on the double for like five months. And so he really instilled in me that patience is incredibly important when it comes to trying to achieve excellence. I wanted to move on. I wanted to have that variety and, and show that progress. But actually, the double is the foundational rudiment 
of the, the drumming world. If you can get the double right, the, the drumming world's your oyster. So for me, it reminded me like when you're looking at business, when you're looking at sport, it's often the simple things. You know, in business, it's understanding uh, the balance sheet. Uh, and, and it's understanding how your marketing's working. Do you have a funnel that's, you know, getting you the leads and when they get in, are they coming out the other end? So for me, he really instilled patience uh, as being a critical element of achieving excellence and then sustaining that. And when it comes to leadership, it's about going, okay, I learned these basic fundamentals about business, sport, or music. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I'm a leader. Okay, well, I got to get back down here and I got to be making sure I reinforce these and embrace these and essentially get ground level, grassroots, and maintain that stuff. Not get to this point and be like, yeah, yeah, cool, that stuff's for beginners. So for me, he really helped me realize never get too big for your boots. Always go back to the basics. Always, you know, pull your socks up, tighten your shoelaces, and that applies to business, sport, music, whatever you want. I love that. Uh, Great life lesson about just having patience and, you know, mastering something. Uh, right. So I think there's a, the, the Alabama football coach. He says, we don't do it till we get it right. We do it till we get it perfect, you know? And, and so uh, I think a lot of, that's a lot to say about your success with that, but also helping other people as a leader. Now I'm curious when it comes to leadership, where, how do you think that people could get a buy-in from a team? easier, you know, cause I've, I've, I've managed, I think seven or eight sales teams and I've seen a lot of people come and go over the years. And I want to get your perspective on what's the right way for taking over a sales team or you're starting a new business to kind of start on your leadership journey. Look, I, I think leadership is influence. You know, people have these big definitions and like five paragraphs of the definition of leadership. Leadership basically is, is influence and learning how to influence other people. It's not a persuasion. It's not, um, you know, you're not kind of forcing people or coercing people. It's influence. So the first step, actually, I was chatting with a client about this yesterday morning. The first step is that you've got to figure out what influences the people you're trying to influence. Mm-hmm. And when I say people, if you've got a team of 10, you need to figure out what influences each and every one of them. Some of them that may be significant. Some of them it may be financial certainty. Some of them it may be growth and progress. Some of them, it may be time. I want time. I want to be able to just work an eight-hour day, go home, forget about it, and be with my family. So learn what influences each individual, and then you leverage that. So you learn how you can actually lead them through what influences them. Because what influences you, Ty, will be totally different than what influences me and influences Sarah and everyone else. So I think it's understanding deeply what influences the individual. And if you want buy-in, um, there's a term called sweep the sheds. So the All Blacks are New Zealand's national rugby team. And they're arguably the world's best ever rugby team, right? They're world champions. They're phenomenal. And they give given this little black book when they become an All Black. And in there is like the way, the All Blacks way. And it's not a rule book, but it's kind of like a cultural ethos book. Mm-hmm. And in there, they talk about sweep the sheds. And so what that means is when the All Blacks go to like Ireland, let's say they go to Ireland and they're playing the Irish rugby team and they go to the big stadium and they've got their changing rooms. So they're in the changing rooms, they go, they play Ireland, the game's over, they're in having a few beers in the changing room. Now, what generally happens is most teams leave after they've had their beers and throw their beers in the bin and the changing room's a mess with mud and grass and everything everywhere. What the All Blacks do is they bring their own brushes and rubbish bags. And the senior leaders get the, so all, all the captains and the vice captains, and they get the, 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 the brushes out and they sweep the sheds, right? So 
they are telling the younger team never ever think just because you're the world's best that you're too good to, to, to not do these basic things so when the irish caretaker comes around to the all blacks uh, changing rooms the, the sheds have been swept and so it's about getting back down to that level so yeah you're the captain of the all blacks but you can still get a, a broom out brilliant so you're getting down to the the level of the rookies the new people the new people on your team the new sales people so whatever it is in a sales term obviously you're not sweeping the sheds but you know, think about what are the basics that often we go, that's a rookie duty. I remember as a young drummer in Vancouver, Canada, we had these rookie duties and you always had to do these rookie duties until a new rookie came in. So if there was no right. new rookies for a couple of years, you had to polish the drums. You had to carry these big, you know, 15, 16 K drums, 10 at a time. Like it was horrible. And you had all these duties. So think about those duties and do them with the rookies. There's so much, you know, bonding, respect and loyalty that's formed right at the start. So figure out what your sweep the sheds is in your industry and get in as the leader and do it with them. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, I'll tell you, for most sales teams I've ever taken over, what I spend the first three months doing is selling. And, and, and it really kind of trips people out because they think that I'm going to come in and, you know, just try to tell them what to do. And I just get down and start doing it with them. One, because I've worked in all different parts of the country here. And so when you take over a new team, usually the team's perspective is always like, well, you've never sold in this market before. You know, well, you don't know how hard it is. We have rate issues here. You know, it's always an excuse. So I just eliminate the excuse and I go do it myself. And they go, oh, shit, the guy's a real deal. You know, it always, it always yeah, it always helped. How, how important is it when you're coaching people uh, or how frequently do you think that a leader needs to meet with their team? You know, because you see people that do a meeting once a month, people once a week. Is there any cadence to that you think that works better than others? You know what? I've spent the last five or so years interviewing incredible leaders, presidents, prime ministers, CEOs, all different types of people. And everyone's got a different view on this. But I think if we look at the size of the team to start with, so if you've got 3,000 employees, you're not meeting with them individually, right? Sure. So you look at your direct reports. Let's say you've got 10 direct reports. I firmly believe you need to be seeing them as a team once a week. And you need to be seeing them one-to-one -one at least once a fortnight. So every two weeks, you want to be sitting one-to-one, -one, 30 minutes to 60 minutes. How's life? What's going on? Here's a box of tissues right here. Let's right. chat about what's going on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because what happens off-field is going to directly impact what's happening on field. So I think, you know, you should be meeting your direct reports at least twice a month. And then as a team, whoever, you know, is part of that team, at least once a week, you have a team meeting and not meeting for meeting sick, but I had a great conversation with a friend who he was the global marketing director with Apple for about eight years. And he said, look, we would have this concept of simplify, simplify, simplify. And that applied to everything we did, products, marketing, sales, web design, everything. But when it came to meetings, same concept. They should be very simple. There should be no complexity and no surprises. The meeting should be structured and they should reinforce our vision, our mission and our purpose. And just keep it simple, but have, have structured your meetings, not meeting for meeting sake. I love that. And I, and I especially that's what I put. Uh, in my my note I jotted down was mission driven, right? And that's where I feel like a lot of leaders miss is because they're like, oh, we got to have our weekly Tuesday meeting and it's just a bunch of bullshit. 
um, as opposed to like, what are we really trying to reinforce? Where are we at on our mission? What is the mission? Do everybody understand how they play a role in the mission? And I think that that's how a lot of people get sideways with their teams quickly. So I, I love that you brought that up. One of the things that you said um, that I jotted down here was, you know, off field situations. And, you know, as a leader, you know, you're, you're a part-time therapist, whether you, you know, you, you like it or not. And so how do you help maybe coach people or how do you evaluate what's enough support versus, you know, too much where you get too involved in somebody's personal life and kind of talk us about, talk to us about that fine line. Yes, that's very interesting. So I think there is always room for therapists and um, obviously as a coach, I'm not a therapist. So I think that there's a line when uh, as a leader, when you get to a certain point, it's like you're you're encouraging some therapy rather than being trying to be a therapist. So, you know, having that empathy is important. And I always feel like as a male leader, and I work with male and female leaders, but male leaders, we tend to want to just like fix and move forward, fix and move forward. So the person comes to you with an issue, I'm having so much trouble at home. You know, someone's ill or I'm having a relationship issue. Okay, cool. Let's fix it. Let's get it fixed. Right. Let's have a conversation. Let's move forward. Well, to me, that doesn't actually empower them at all. So as a leader, effectively, I look at you as a coach. So, you know, leading is coaching. Mm -hmm. And so great coaches, what do they do? They ask questions that empowers the, the individual to figure the problem out themselves. Because when that coach leaves or that leader leaves, you want to make sure that you can run yourself. You know, you, you can, you've got a net to catch the fish rather than continually look over and be like, hey, can you get the fish for me? I'm having a challenge. Yeah. So I really think that asking great questions is the way forward. When you hit a brick wall and emotions are really high and you, you can't help them through that, that's when you've got to be getting in outside extra support, you know, whether it's therapy, psychologist, whatever you want to call it. Well, that's just great in general. I think asking questions is powerful. You know, just like I, when somebody would come to me with like a, what I'd call a basic question, I would usually just, well, how do you think it should be handled? And you're flipping it back on them. And then they like give you the answer. Like, okay, well, there you go. You didn't need me, you know? Um, no, so hundred percent okay. on, um, you know, I know one of the things too, that you're great at, um, and what your podcast is, uh, based on, you know, life on purpose podcast is James podcast, which I uh, recommend, uh, everybody to check out. This is a serious problem is trying to find some type of purpose, fulfillment in life. And I think, you know, especially here, I've talked about it before on here. One of the things I'm deeply concerned about in the States is the, the, I wouldn't say the abuse, but the, the need or compulsory to have pharmaceuticals, you know, and, and I, and again, I, I've said this, uh, Hey, kudos to you. If you need them, you know, I, I support that, but I think there's a lot of people that use it as a bandaid or a crutch that could, you know, if I had more purpose or more fulfillment in their life, they wouldn't need it as much. So kind of walk us through some of the exercises maybe you help clients with and why you even started the podcast in general. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Well, look, I think that there's a lack of purpose pandemic and people are searching for this overarching purpose and they want this one big thing to die for. They want that like Mother Teresa moment, that Mahatma Gandhi right. moment, like, hey, I'm going to be doing this one thing for life but actually that's not how life works you have these many purposes throughout different stages so like for me i've got a five-year-old son right now in my life that's my major purpose is yeah. being there for him being present helping guide him learning about myself through him now seven years ago that wasn't my purpose my purpose was building business and helping clients and you know get, getting ahead and having luxury holidays right things have changed a lot 
So knowing that you don't have to have one overarching life purpose, I think takes a lot of pressure off. And your, your purpose right now could be doing your best in your team, if you're in a sales team, that's my purpose is to show up and just rock today. That, yeah, that's a yeah. worthy purpose. Now, I think we need a personal and a professional purpose. So they could be the same thing, but often they're different. So when you're looking at your personal purpose, you know, you want to be asking questions like, what keeps me up at night? What makes me sad? What makes me angry? Um, you know, there's, there's a saying, you know, your why should make you cry. You know, so what are things when you see it or you read about it? So for me, you know, New Zealand here, believe it or not, has the highest teen suicide rate on the planet and has the highest child mortality rate on the planet. And when I look at those things and I read some of the horrific stories, it for an hour, I'm, I'm a mess. Yeah. I get really impacting. I'm like, okay, that's important to me. That's I need to park that aside. And remember when I'm starting to do my purpose work, that there's got to be something that ties into that. That's that's important. So think about things that upset you. You know, it could be a family illness, someone in your family that you love got really ill with maybe cancer. Well, think about that and go, could I make a difference and, and do research and raise money and you know, ask yourself what, what those trigger points are, and that helps you to identify your purpose. And when you talk about say pharmaceuticals, I'm I'm with you on this. Like if you need them take them, but help yourself first, set a bit higher standards, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, if, if you're really struggling and you get the pharmaceuticals and they level you out, you use that moment once you're like at that level to go, what could I improve? What could I set as a higher standard? You know, am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I moving my body? Am I meditating? Am I reading good books? Am I hanging out with great people? Like these all sound like basic things that your parents and grandparents told you to do, right? Get more water in you, love. You know, make sure you get your, your veggies in you. All, all these things. But we neglect them and we reach for processed crap. We reach for alcohol when we feel a little bit like it was a tough day. I deserve a beer. I, I deserve a wine. We justify these things. We have a vape because it's healthy compared to smoking, right? We come up with all these justifications. So do yourself a favor. Once you get to this point, where you are at that kind of line of say sanity and you've got a, a bit of joy in your life, make some decisions to care for yourself better because that's going to help you feel better, look better, live longer. All these things, it, a pill is not going to do that for you. A pill will numb the pain for sure. And there's some people that you, you do need medication. I'm not at all saying get rid of that stuff. Your doctor can decide that, but you can be doing things to help yourself. And too few people do that. They take the easy route. They lay in bed too long. They go to bed too late. They reach for the, the cupboard rather than the fridge. So it's like, like, let's look at what our habits are and then make, just make minor adjustments. Matt, you, you nailed that, uh, James. I, I'm in agreement with everything. And I, and I think for me, you know, um, the, the biggest thing that we're lacking uh, around that to me is discipline and, and, and accountability. You know, it's just like, man, it's like, if you're fat, like you just, I just say what it is, you know, you're overweight, whatever you want to call whatever politically correct term there is nowadays, you know, it's just because you control what you put in your fucking mouth. And, yep. you know, you know, you control, if you go work out, it's, you know, all these things you can do to help yourself. Um, but I think, you know, we, we've become one, a society uh, conditioned with instant gratification and we're able to validate our excuses and, and our cultural, uh, norms now 
validate our inadequacies, our excuses as well, and makes you feel that it's okay. And it, it's a real problem. So, you know, being on that, I know you had to be a disciplined guy to be a, a world champion. Uh, what are some of the things that you help structure you to continue to be uh, disciplined? Yeah, interesting. So some people who know me well are like, Jesus, James, like, come on, you got, you got to just ease up on this or that. But to me, I look at this, excellence is the destination. Discipline is the journey. Right. You're never going to get close to the destination. Everyone just wants the destination. Oh, I want to go to the gym January 1st and just let's do it. We're done for the rest of the year. It's going to be we're going to be there. No, no, no. You set the, your destination. That is the excellence and discipline is the journey. It's the, it's the way the vehicle that gets you there. And so I think of Serena Williams. Right. A freaking amazing athlete. Yeah. Phenomenal athlete, like the best tennis player of all time, arguably. Yeah. 23 Grand Slam titles. Uh, you know, she's the oldest player to have won so many and continue to play. That girl had a baby, had major complications, had a pulmonary embolism, had major surgery, nearly died. She lost her sister in a gang shooting. Her mom and dad got divorced in 2002. She's back on the court winning Grand Slams. Why? Not because she's special, not because she was born with talent, because she had hunger and discipline. Yeah. She got to the court. She had great coaches, but she got to the court. She worked out. She did the work. You know, she's stronger than most men. Her, her coach said, her, her physical training coach, he said, um, I worked with Peyton Manning at the peak of his career. And over 30 years, he said, I've worked with some of the most mentally tough men and women, but none have came close to Serena Williams. So to me, she gets that from discipline. You get, you know, you get success from discipline. You get results from discipline. You get the sale from discipline. You don't lift the phone and go through the script and say it with passion and learn from your mistakes. Well, you don't get the result. You've got to get disciplined at the basics. You got to lift the damn phone and make the call or the Zoom or whatever it might be or get in front of the, the client. So for me, discipline is everything. And I often check myself and go, that was a slob kind of behavior there. Cut that out, right? So yeah. I'll check myself once a week and say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how committed to my self-discipline am I? That to me is a major pillar in my life. So discipline to me is this. Discipline is when the alarm goes off, I get out of the damn bed. It's not snooze. The snooze, that's a slob mentality, mm. right? That's like a tell my subconscious mind, hey, let's hit snooze on our life. Let's hit snooze on our dreams. Sleep is more important. So getting out of bed, that's discipline. Meditating in the morning, that's discipline. Why? It just focuses my mind. And I, you know, I'm not sitting on a mountaintop uh, as a monk and it's all, you know. <laughs> it's very practical visualizations. It's drinking the water. It's eating a really great breakfast. It's looking at my son's eyes and being like, what are you excited for today, dude? It's driving him to school that 30 minutes and letting him be the five-year-old DJ and singing along with all of his songs. That's discipline. It's when he goes to bed at night, it's getting my laptop or my iPad or my journal out and finishing off stuff that didn't get done during the day and preparing for tomorrow. It's eight o'clock at night when I want some pretzels that I go have a glass of peppermint tea first, then see how you feel about the pretzels. It's the basics. Do I do it all the time? Hell no. Sometimes do I screw up? Yes. When my stress levels elevate, am I a little weaker? Yes. And that's stuff that I continually work on. That's why I do evaluate myself mm -hmm. constantly because I know I'm going to slip up. I'm a bloody human. So it's about going, okay, you're slipping up. Get back to the basics. Get that discipline up. And to me, when I've been more disciplined, 
I've been more successful in all areas of my life. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree with that sentiment. And I love that you take some time to uh, reevaluate, you know, how you've been throughout the week and to recognize yeah, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent here. I didn't give a hundred percent, you know, you know, if you, ate, if you ate pretzels, ate some pretzels, you know, uh, but it, but it is good to look at those little things. And that's for me, you know, why meditation people always that same thing. I'm like, obviously, well, you can't see I'm wearing a hoodie. I'm a, you know, I'm a, big tatted guy you know you don't think of me as like getting uh, up and, and, and meditating every day but i do it because it allows me more in the moment to recognize that like yeah dude this is this is not going to serve your higher purpose like you know mm-hmm. this is not what you're here for and i can catch it more frequently um uh, in the moment how long have you been meditating for probably about six years that's awesome um, i would say it's 90 percent hit rate you know it's it's five six days a week Sometimes it's twice a day. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a stage where I'm really trying to focus on a big goal and I'm feeling frustrated, I'll meditate morning and night, 40, 30 to 40 minutes at a time. If I'm in a really good flow state and I'm not really stressed or frustrated, it'll just be once in the morning. Yeah, it's, no, it's, that's, it's an excellent routine. And isn't it amazing? I heard uh, Sad, Sadhguru talking about not necessarily meditation, but he was talking about how, like you were saying earlier, sometimes we'll reach for the glass of wine or the beer or here, you know, some people cannabis or, you know, their, their, their vape or whatnot. And, and he goes, why would you want to dull your mind? You know, why would you want to dull yourself? That's not how you were intended to be. And I could see maybe, you know, if you're like chilling with the shaman or something and you want to, you know, go see little green elves and I get it, but, um, <laughs> you know, but to do it on the regular, that's when you should, Hey, I'm feeling something anxious. Go sit for 20 minutes, go sit for 30 minutes, be with that thought, be with that feeling I think is powerful as opposed to like, you're saying, just numbing it with a glass of wine. Cause guess what? When the buzz wears off the fucking problem still there. Yeah. Right. And your ability to deal with it is diminished because you're hungover and your energy levels are lower. Right. No, you got inflammation of the body. We've got all kinds of stuff going on, James. Um, That's it. So talk to us a little bit about your mastermind group. What are you guys doing that? Yeah. So uh, mastermind for this past year kicked off in January. And so brought together just 10, 10 individuals. So it's a small, small mastermind and uh, all different backgrounds. It's a diverse industry diverse mastermind. So I had uh, the captain of the All Blacks, uh, Sam Whitelock. I had someone who ran a top finance company, uh, someone who's in real estate, someone who's got a tech company. So all different people bring them together. And essentially it's about using the power of the mastermind to help each individual lead better and support their communities, build their businesses. So we meet once a month. And this this first mastermind was in person. Everyone was based here in New Zealand. So we get together in person. And each time that we meet, there's a hot seat. And so the individual will show up and be like, hey, I'm trying to go from this to this. Here's my biggest problem. Not sure what to do. And the power of the mastermind is that people can then ask clarifying questions, deepening questions, acknowledgement, then share experiences. So it's not necessarily, hey, you need to do this. It's, hey, here's what I've done. And here's how it worked in my industry. And here's some contacts or here's you know, some resources. And if you want any support with it, you let me know. And so building that power base, uh, getting great results for the individuals. And at the end of the mastermind, we uh, flew down to Queenstown, which is probably the equivalent of Las Vegas uh, uh, combined with like uh, Yellowstone. It's kind of like incredible. <laughs> That's, that is a wild image I'm picturing right now. <laughs> it's an insane place. It's phenomenal. So the 10 of us went down there and- 
and I invited in our former prime minister, which is the equivalent of the president of the United mm-hmm. United States. Uh, I invited him in. He came in for the day and we had lots of fun. We did an official kind of podcast. Then we had a very informal Q&A. Then we all got on yachts and helicopters and up into the snow and had a great time. Just guys bonding, having fun. Next one will will be for men and women. It's not necessarily just for guys, Uh, but we got together and essentially just getting together to brainstorm a mastermind to help each other level up, to help each other hold each other accountable. I'm bringing someone in and like John Key, I mean, he started off before he became prime minister. He uh, said to his mom when he was seven years old, I want to become a millionaire. And they were from a very poor family, single mother. Um, she escaped Austria um, during that whole incredible, awful, awful time with Auschwitz. And so she, she got out and started by herself here in Christchurch, raised these three kids. He says, I'm going to become a millionaire and then I'm going to be prime minister. And she went, good on you, son. You know, go, go for it. And what does he do? He gets into investment banking, ends up on Wall Street, then heads to London, makes mega millions, learns how the economy works, learns how business works, comes back and runs the country like a legend. So I thought bringing someone like him in is so valuable because he's walked the path that many other people want to walk, not necessarily being prime minister, but in terms of running business and running a successful life and being a good present father. So it's just that it's a great way to bring people together get huge value for them and lifelong connection yeah no i love it i think it's a great um it's something that i've not been great at doing myself um is just having that that kind of go-to group uh but it's one one of the big takeaways you know think and grow rich um that napoleon hill talks about is, is having that mastermind group so i just i love that you're doing that um that's fantastic one of the key words you just hit on us a second ago is father and i'm just curious what's been your biggest lesson and takeaway as a father as a dad um i'm just looking at him right now my little boy a little photo of him um it's just presence Hmm. being being incredibly present and you know the word gratitude sometimes i hear it and i roll my eyes and like everyone talks about gratitude hashtag blessed but when you look at your son it's like shit i'm grateful yeah i'm so grateful and sometimes if he's sleeping at night i'll go in and just look and be like how amazing is this i get to be a dad in this lifetime so there's just there is a deep set sense of gratitude and <laughs> you'll laugh but he knows how to push my buttons better than anyone and i'm learning a lot about patience i'm learning a lot about uh, mental mastery emotional mastery Mm -hmm. the stuff that i work on with my clients i get to like work on with myself because of my son (laughs) so you know i think it's just a deep sense of gratitude and appreciation of my dad appreciation of my granddad you know what they've done to help raise me how they were patient with me how they disciplined me you know, back then, I, I remember getting a smack on the ass, right? Nowadays, yep. if I did that, I'd be in big trouble. But I got many smacks in the ass. And did it do me good? Hell yes. <laughs> I needed yep. it. So there's gratitude, there's appreciation, joy, uh, and there's challenge. You know, there, there's so many things when I think of fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, no I, no, I love it. It's, uh, I think you're definitely right. I, I Especially with my, my youngest, I have two boys that are five and seven. And um, my, my younger one is five. You know, my wife says he's like a, a mirror image of me, right? But he's the one that frustrates me, frustrates me the most that I have to like have the most patience with. But I think it's more of like, it's a mere reflection of the things I don't like within myself that I'm trying to help him fix and overcome. So he's been like a, such a blessing in the sense he's been probably one of my greatest teachers 
of the shit that I need to, I need to look at and, and, and fix where my, my other guy is kind of like, he's my, uh, he's my ride or die. My seven-year-old, he's constantly by my side, but we're very different in a lot of ways. He's very stoic. He's not, he's not uh, emotional or sensitive like me and my younger one is he's a lot more like my wife. So it's an interesting dynamic, what they, they both have taught it. me. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, to kind of wrap it up here, James, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, of course, where can we find your podcast? Where can we find, I know you've written a book or two, right? Yeah, that's right. So you can find me through the Life on Purpose podcast with James Lachlan. It's on anywhere you listen to your, your podcasts, and Apple, Spotify, whatever. And uh, Instagram is a great place to connect socially. So James Lachlan official. Uh, also, for the, those of you who are in sales and, and the business world, uh, just hook me up on LinkedIn. Uh, James Lachlan. And in terms of books, yes, so about eight years ago, nine years ago, I wrote a book called Our Journey. And it was a, I interviewed 45 world champions, the best of the best um, drummers, and um, asked, you know, how did you do it? What was your story? What were your obstacles? What were your success formulas? And uh, just sharing their journeys. And it's a big old coffee table book. Um, you know, it's something you can sit there and pop on the coffee table and read through and flip through. So that was great. And I've also been working on a book on fatherhood. And I've been interviewing high-performing fathers. So all different types of people, you know, CEOs of top airlines, uh, pre presidents, prime ministers, uh, um, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, some of you North Americans might be familiar with him. Mm -hmm. uh, Evan Carmichael, another North American. Um, yeah, he's great. Uh, thought leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just been uh, talking to them about fatherhood and careers and how you balance a really driven career while still being a good dad. Yeah. And we want to be proud of that. And you'll be yeah. at the end of our journey when our career's over going, was I a good dad? You know, maybe I wasn't the best work dad in the world, but was I a good dad? And so the book's all around the different pillars of fatherhood and work and how they intersect. I love that. It's so important. I've talked about it a few times on here, uh, but, you know, a lot of us end up becoming one or two dimensional and, mm -hmm. and really, you know, work driven. And so it is really important to have that perspective of, um, you know, it's, we're so impactful and the things that got imprinted on us to be able to recognize and imprint differently, um, you know, and, and the things that we didn't like and the good things that we did, we did like, you know, to your point earlier. Uh, so beautiful. I can't wait to read that. Honestly, uh, I've got a whole nother podcast. You don't know this, uh, where I do book reviews called the book Legion. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I have to, have to give that one a, a review when it comes out, James, um, James, any, uh, advice or parting words for everybody? No, just be true to yourself. Uh, be kind. And, you know, go forth and do what you love doing. You've got a short blink of an eye called life. Just go and make the most of it. You never know when it's over. So get out there and live life on purpose. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for your time today, James. I appreciate it. Great to connect. Hi, thanks a million for having us. Absolutely.